What is going on, Geek Five Nation? Thank you for tuning in to a special super edition of Wrestling Geeks Alliance, brought to you on the day of Saturday, the day of, well, the day before rest, before all of our workers out there. Obviously, the day of rest and relaxation and fucking fun. And thankfully, since I decided, uh, due to certain problems, that I wasn't going to be able to do the show Wednesday, we pushed the show to today. And uh, I think we have plenty to talk about. But before we talk about that stuff, let me introduce my co-host, the the Max of of, of mutilation, the the King of Sound himself, Christopher, brother Ray Patton. How you doing? <laughs> Let's just cut the bullshit and get right to the big news article, man. Ricky Chelsea's yeah. retirement. That's uh, a. <laughs> As, as as much as you joke, um, you know, I, I, I do want you to smarten people up on this Japanese wrestler. Before we talk about the big stuff, we'll take a little bit of time. Because, guys, uh, just to let you know, we're going to be doing a pretty long broadcast. If we need to go over two hours, we're going to do that. And uh, if we do do that, we'll do a second show, take a 30-minute breather, and start up again at 3.30. But let's see where we go from there. First, Chris, smarten everyone up about Ricky's uh, work within wrestling, especially Japanese wrestling over New Japan. I mean, Ricky Chalsu, uh, three-time IWGP heavyweight champion, legend in the ring. Uh, it's in America, obviously, probably not as big as someone, say, like Jushin Thunder Liger. He's not getting the uh, necessarily the farewell that Jushin is getting from the American audience. But as far as a performer and what he was able to do in, in the ring, I mean, if you just go down the list of accolades – being a three-time tag champion, NWA North American tag champion, the first WWF international heavyweight champion, uh, winner of the G1 Climax, like just the list of accolades. PWI considered him the 30th best wrestler during the PWI years, which would have been from Pro Wrestling Illustrated started to 2003 when the actual magazine itself ended, which I know now it's like, you know, we still have the online stuff and everything. Um, I mean, great matches with Fujinabe, Anoki, uh, Jumbo, Nintenru, all things that you could check out. Um, his run, I would say, between like the 80s to early 92, 93, just absolutely phenomenal as a worker. Just tons and tons of great fucking matches. I, when, like when we talked about doing this show originally and we were writing up the news list, he was like the first thing that came to mind for me outside of the obvious um, I think the, the big thing that people will probably either forget or don't know about Chelsea is he's also heavily responsible for a lot of the booking in New Japan, um, specifically after the – when they started bringing in Gaijin talent like Brock Lesnar and Bob Sapp for short title runs, uh, Chelsea kind of took over as booker and really – Gave us a lot of the wrestlers that we love. He tightened the territory up. He uh, limited, you know, the amount of foreign talent that was coming into Japan. It's where you get a lot of the legends uh, like Tanahashi and, and, and kind of pushed it into what we know as New Japan today in a lot of ways. Now, there's, you know, downsides to his booking just like anything. But without him, I don't know that we get the New Japan that we get Currently, I mean, you know, before like after him, you get Gato and you get the great booking round that Gato's had. But not only was he a great wrestler, a great booker, and uh, was still wrestling at the age of 67, <laughs> he also has the second largest gate 
of all time in wrestling history when he retired. And I say that in quotations because he just had a match, a retirement match again, so to speak. Um, he drew $6 million at the Tokyo Dome in his last night there. That's how well-respected he is. So shout out to Ricky Chalsu. Thank you for everything you've done for wrestling and the wrestling community. Sorry that in America we don't know you as well as uh, Justin Thunderliger, but hopefully you know, our fans, people listening to the show, will definitely go out and check out, if, if nothing at all, check out him versus Jumbo, November 5th, 1985, which I, I actually sent to you last night. So uh, how did you like that match, and, and do you have any thoughts on uh, Mr. Ricky Chalsu? It was a good match and a good introduction for a Japanese legend that I did not know that much information on. So... You know, it, it just inspires me, like I've done with many different wrestling organizations over, the, you know, across the world, to check out different uh, wrestlers. That w- my whole thing, uh, when it comes to my music love, when it comes to my favorite directors, uh, and also wrestlers, is always the concept of being in, uh, obsessed with influence, finding out what a current person's, you know, what made them or what really catered towards their style, and to find out about this gentleman and. You know, you hear about the Three Musketeers in New Japan, obviously from the 90s with Keiji Muto, uh, Marshio Chono, and then uh, Shinya Hashimoto. Uh, But it sounds like from what I was researching, Ricky was responsible for what's called the new Three Musketeers uh, with guys that I think people have heard of, like Nakamura, Shibata, and uh, some guy named Tanahashi. So if he influenced the booking and helped get this – those new lions uh, in the forefront and helped turn around New Japan to what we know it today, that's something to be remembered. Someone that should be, you know, thought upon as much as Gato um, and many of the other guys, the influence of Jushin Thunder Liger and uh, other people around him in his era. It sounds like he's someone, if you know who Fujinami is, if you know who certain other guys of that era, um, he's someone that you should look up. And I would definitely recommend there's New Japan World, obviously, that has the archives. He's also done stuff outside of New Japan, so a lot of matches, um, I'm sure, are on Daily Motion and on YouTube. So check it out, guys. It's always good to smarten yourself up to uh, different wrestling legends or even new wrestlers. You know, I think we've both been gushing about Austin Theory, but we'll, we'll get to that a little bit later. Uh, let's start off by talking about this, Chris. Let's get straight to the thing. This could take a while of conversating, of speculation, and going over all the fine details uh, there's a lot of layers to the story of, obviously, what I'm referring to, Sports Illustrated dropped Thursday. Paul Heyman and Eric Bischoff, named WWE Executive Directors, will run WWE TV. In respect of it, Paul Heyman will be responsible for the content on Monday Night Raw, and Eric Bischoff will control the content of SmackDown. Now, when I saw this, just, just, just first off, when I saw this story, it was from another website that was actually doing a piece, kind of a copy piece, from Sports Illustrated. So I immediately thought it was bullshit. I immediately was like, there's no fucking way. Maybe it's, maybe it's in a reference to a historical you know, thing that I'm not remembering when they were both uh, running their brands on television, opposite, obviously, of what's happening now. Then I... Then I saw Sports Illustrated, and then WWE dropped the news, and I got giddy. Now, why did I get giddy? Because it's something fucking different. It's something that seems like 
even though, and we'll go over the possible negatives, it's going to be different than what we have present within WWE. And I'm not one of those douchebag wrestling fans that can't enjoy good wrestling and only have to fucking cater towards a certain thing, like within anything, you know, which band is better, which, which movie company is better, which DC or Marvel, this, this, this stupid modern age fucking late millennial, I, I hate to say it's Generation Z concept, and I'm sure a lot of older fans influence it as well, uh, of having to choose a side in, in, instead of just hoping for progress and hoping for good fucking wrestling. Now, let's go over the facts, you know, before I pass it to Chris and let him run with it a bit. Uh, within all of this, it seems like, obviously, what they're doing is preparing for the future. I don't necessarily know if Vince really sees AEW as a threat against his company going under, but he definitely disproves a little chink in his armor and shows that Vince does want to try to change up things. Um, if you look at what I would assume a contract for this would be, and I don't know if anyone's actually looked it up, I would assume it would be about four to five years. This is about to turn 74. In four or five years, he'll be about 78, 79 years old. Now, there's stuff about Triple H and where he lies in all this, but before we go over that, Chris, just give me your, your general thoughts, and we'll kind of like go into each detail of this breakdown. What did you think initially, uh, whether it had been when I sent you it or if you saw it by yourself on Facebook, did you think it was bullshit? Were you kind of blown away like in a negative way, positive way? How did you feel? So I, I caught the news on Twitter from WWE's Twitter account. So at first, when I saw it, I thought, okay, they're bringing in two heel GMs. And then I read the details of it, and I was like, no, they're going to have them actually fucking produce the show. Like, they're going to be directing the show, similar to directing a movie, show, so to speak, which immediately shocked me because we did the five things that we could – if we could help WWE out, there's five things we would do. And, and one of the things that I noted was – let Paul Heyman have a run at it. He did so good 2001, 2002 SmackDown. Let him have a run. That was one of the recommendations I had. I, I think I also credited uh, Bully Ray for the idea because he, he talked about it on Busted Open as well. It, I mean, it was a great idea. And maybe Vince heard us and was like, hey, shit, why not? Fuck it. But it does point to the fact that Vince is looking at what his overall attendance was in Washington, um, which was pretty bad. Uh, Washington and, and Oregon specifically, you had, uh, you know, a, I think the gate for stomping grounds was 6,000 and they did buy one, get one free tickets and gave away tickets at a local mall to get that, which is like really low attendance, similar to what WWE hit or WCW hit uh, towards the end when they're basically just please come see our show uh, in a lot of ways. And then, you had what I think it was like 3,500 for Raw and 2,500 for SmackDown, which is some of the lowest gates that they've had in a long time. Not the lowest of all time, but very, very low. You look at the ratings decline. You look at like everything that's going on, and for Vince to pull the trigger on this, even if it's just to garner fan interest or try to do something with the show – does show that you know while he may while, while a lot of people will say Vince is out of touch with the product – he is going to try. He's not just going to like roll over, die, let the ratings drop below two. He's going to do what he can do. And, you know, Paul Heyman, as we've read in the news recently with all this shit coming out, 
is responsible for a lot of the 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 run up to WrestleMania with how they booked Ronda Rousey, Becky, and in, in Charlotte once they decided they were going to put all three in the match, specifically the uh, the police car beatdown segment that we all I think pretty much everyone thought was pretty good as far as you know promoting a match goes. Um, obviously, positive and negatives to both. Uh, Eric Bischoff has said out loud multiple times that he hasn't kept up with the product since 2009. So we'll see how in or out of touch he is. But the, like I said, the first time I read this, I sent it, you sent it, you sent me a link and I sent you a link like two seconds after before I <laughs> saw your message. So, That's right. I mean, this explode, it, it fucking exploded the news. Um, it's also on the tail of a lot of other weird WWE stuff that we'll get into later with one of their top guys. Uh, the announcement, obviously, of Evolve uh, and, and what they're doing on the WWE Network. So this, to me, isn't just all coincidental. It is Vince saying, I'm not just going to roll over and play dead, even if AEW is going to have a TV show. Um, and I think looking at that sellout that they did in Chicago and how fast that shit went and how hard of a time that they had with their pay-per-view and SmackDown and Raw in one central area points to the fact that like hey yeah this man may be a little out of touch with what we want as wrestling fans but he's still a businessman he's going to do whatever he can to fucking keep this this ball rolling so to speak absolutely and i mean when it comes down to it that's i think that the biggest thing that matters to vince more so than money and uh you know being acclaimed uh as being you know such a a mogul and, and taking something like professional wrestling and making it as big is legacy, is the future, is making sure that after he's gone, this is going to be set up in the right direction. And maybe to an extent, I don't know. I don't know if Fitz would admit this to himself, but he is realizing his age is getting there. He's a little bit out of touch, and he needs something to, to spice things up. Well, we have to realize that within all this, the main thing is USA – um, I don't necessarily wanting uh, creative, you know, to be a part of creative, but USA being the, the, the main home of Monday Night Raw and wanting an equally good product uh, than the one that will be on SmackDown on Fridays, which is a hard night just by itself. And you can tell that Fox executives seem to be wanting to be a little more interactive with the product itself. They've already said they want something more sports driven. Uh, so these guys are very interesting. It, it goes back. The fall of this, actually, where Bruce Pritchard came back, uh, Vince's old right-hand man, a, a gentleman that's been a part of creative, a uh, part of producing stuff, a part of helping creative in some of the biggest times in WWE history, you know, the Hulk, Hulk, the Hulk Hogan era, the Attitude era, uh, the ruthless, biggest parts of the Ruthless Aggression era. You can tell, you know, I we have talked about this. We have seen good things about Raw and SmackDown, but it's, it's been – <laughs> within a bunch of stuff. Um, but vignettes, uh, the wrestling getting better, stuff that he told Conrad beforehand, Conrad Thompson on his show, that he would do if he was there. And now we get to this, and it seems like one of his old, extremely good friends, Paul Heyman, who they already previously tried to get involved in the product creatively, kind of turned it down, has still had creative on, you know, noted on uh, Wrestling Observer, with talents like Alexa Bliss producing her and producing Ronda Rousey, obviously Brock Lesnar, and and very interesting to find out Aleister Black, which makes me think much more positive about these vignettes that we've been having 
also one of Bruce Pritchard's uh, close friends, another creative guy within wrestling. I mean, Vince's old enemy, Eric Bischoff. And this is not, you know, the crazy thing about this, from what Sports Illustrated said, this is not going to be an on-air TV personality commissioner thing like they had beforehand. They're going to be actually involved in creative itself. And to me, a lot of people, and we're going to go, we're going to break down Paul and we're going to break down Eric, but I, I think a lot of people have negatives for good reason with, with Eric Bischoff. I mean, you got to think about TNA, which there were a lot of factors, the end of WCW, which there were obviously a lot of factors outside of uh, Eric on that one. Um, but him being out of touch with the product as, as in knowing storylines, like he admitted that you said, um, there's one thing that a lot of people are not realizing is that when it comes to working with a corporate media company, Eric's actually pretty damn good at that. And if, if Vince is realizing, shit, I got to run the XFL, I got to make sure both products are doing better, their fucking attendance are going down, you know, our ratings are going down, and we have this new giant competition, you know, there's only so much Vince McMahon can do. And when it comes to being a liaison between Fox and the WWE, uh, Titan, you know, I think Eric's actually a smart person to put in charge. It's just such a crazy concept that we go back and we go back to the old war, the, the, the Monday night wars. I think that Vince has always appreciated Paul Heyman creatively. If, he, if both guys influence how WWE and of course Vince himself too, but how wrestling is done today, a little bit of influence is all, all of their creative throughout the years. But I think he respects, uh, Paul, that's why he tried to help ECW for the longest time period and wasn't really a com- uh, competition as far as WCW. Eric, you know, I think he respects, I think Vince respects Eric for different reasons and the fact that he was able to do all that um, for 83 weeks beating him and almost really putting uh, a knife through Vince after the 90s, the early 90s, almost killed the WWE. Eric came along and did a lot of uh, impact, but it's it's almost like Eric's Jamie Lannister. I made that comparison to you, you know, with, with with the Game of Thrones, where the Starks were going against the Lannisters and the Lannister armies that and all their uh, you know their, their their friends, if you will, uh, in Game of Thrones. And then Jamie kind of redeems himself, I guess, and then works with them to go against the other enemies. So basically, I'm calling it AEW White Walkers. But anyways, Chris, what do you think about uh, the fact? That it's a, that has come to this that that Vince is actually getting his two generals uh, ready for the war, and they happen to be the guys that ran two of the biggest promotions outside of WWE with ECW and WCW. So I mean, I think the the thing that's the most shocking um, about this is I totally expected Vince to ride the wave until he got to Fox. I think the sellout of AEW, like I mentioned earlier, is Chicago. How well their pay-per-view did doing 100,000 buys. Um, or Yeah, I believe it was 100,000 buys. I think, I think that's correct. Um, at $50 a pop, where Vince is basically giving pay-per-views away for free on the network, their viewership versus what AEW got for that first pay-per-view. The fact it doesn't seem like it's luck. This is a – I think this is a, a good move for Vince. Um, I don't know what it's going to mean in the future, and I, I don't know if you want to get into this now or not, but we can kind of go into the pros and cons of each guy and, and 
the big thing is is like uh, the, the biggest thing I've seen is people like Eric Bischoff. Why the fuck would you bring in Eric Bischoff? Well, when you watch Monday Night Raw, remember that Bischoff created the concept of live wrestling on TV. So the product that you're seeing now is not that different as far as how it's produced, how it's filmed, what they're trying to do, doing more reality-type storylines to what made WCW so different and so successful. Now, there's obviously downfalls to Eric Bischoff, but if you're looking to go create a different wrestling product from your main brand, he might just be the guy to do it. Now, we don't know if he's going to pull it off or not, but that is exactly what he did when Ted said, here, have this money, go make me a product that's different, that can compete or beat Vince McMahon. And that's what he did. He took WCW out of, out of the red, losing money year over year, into the black. And like his podcast is called, for 83 weeks, he did what is seemingly the impossible. He kicked Vince's ass on cable TV. The thing that Vince was so good at, the thing that he ended all of the territories with, which is getting TV, licensing, taking talent from other people, Bischoff beat him at his own game and changed wrestling fucking completely. So in that sense, you're like, that's fucking nuts. So to me, it's a smart move. We'll see how it works out. And, uh, you know, we'll get into the negatives of Bischoff and Heyman later. I will say this about TNA. TNA is the last wrestling show that was pulling 1.5 million viewers and even coming anywhere close to what WWE was doing, even if I hated a lot of, of the shit that they were doing at the time. Absolutely. And I mean, this is just, it still got me just into such an interest. I mean, this is the biggest thing that's happened since AEW obviously uh, decided to tell us, Hey, we're going to be making a company and confirmed what we all thought might be happening. But I mean, for this to go in a direction of Eric Bischoff and Paul Heyman to make different shows, I think with Eric I can't remember the exact quotes, and I was trying to find them online while you were talking, uh, but it doesn't really matter. I, we, we can figure it out. But basically, he was at some type of convention recently. I, actually, I think it was like a year or two ago, and he was an, answering a Q&A, and someone asked what he would do if he ran SmackDown or Raw, uh, what he would do as far as the leader of creative. And he said that he would make distinct differences to make sure that the shows themselves are different that it's a different product altogether, that there's some type of grit to it, uh, something that I think that a lot of people, you know, that, that's something that really kind of defines WCW to an extent. Uh, the reality, the grit, you know, and um, he would, he would like, like you said, he would try to make the, the product itself very different than the other one. What I find fascinating, Chris, uh, and after I ask you this question, we'll, we'll go into Paul and Heyman's, uh, you know, the positive and negatives. We'll go into Eric's uh, positive and negatives, and then we'll talk about Mr. Paul Levesque, uh, and what, and then after that, what this could mean for WWE wrestling. But you know, with, with all this, with, with uh, and I now now I just destroyed the the, the realm of my thoughts uh, from from listing all that information. Uh, but with Eric Bischoff. I think a lot of people, like I said, are concerned for good reason. And what, what, like I said, what, what, that's what I was going to say. Luckily, I was able to get through that. <laughs> Sorry. I'm acting like I have a concussion myself. Um, but it's just very interesting with 
I get the whole interaction of business with Eric and Fox of being, you know, the guy that can really talk, that understands corporate media companies and working with them, especially someone at the level of Fox, uh, Fox Sports and stuff. But creatively, it seems like SmackDown's always been the wrestling show. Um, and, it's, and Paul, you know, for his work of what he did, not necessarily with ECW, but what he did when, you know, it was just him with SmackDown, it was more wrestling driven. Um, I just find it very interesting. Where do you think the strategy lies of putting Eric in charge of SmackDown that's going over to Fox outside of obviously him being good with media companies, like I said, like he was with Time or with uh, Time Warner before in the past. Well, I should say before they kind of screwed him over towards the end of it. But when obviously Ted Turner was in charge of it, Turner um, Broadcasting, how he will be at Fox, and what makes him so good for SmackDown, do you think that Vince thinks, and what makes Paul so good for Monday Night Raw? I think that you have two very different personalities, so putting them on different shows and giving them the ability to direct it is going to give you two very different products, which I think is important to both Fox and USA, because you don't want to be the A show or the B show. You just want to be a TV show, right? on your respective network and you, and you want to be able to draw ratings and you, and you want it to feel different. I mean, at this point you might as well rename one of the, (laughs) instead of it being WWE raw WWE SmackDown, like you might as well start a separate federation and, and, and in some ways battle against yourself until AEW's in the fold. Um, and I think that's kind of what they're doing under a different umbrella in a lot of ways Uh, with Eric, he's not going to be expected to be, when you say executive director, that does not mean he is going to be Gato. He's not going to be booking all of these matches. There's going to be things that Vince wants. There's going to be road agents there to actually book out the matches. He's going to have a creative direction, but I think the biggest reason Eric is there is to help differentiate the products. Paul Heyman is a wrestling guy. He's an entertainment guy. ECW was ahead of its time in a lot of ways in the same way as as WCW, and if you look at the WWE product, you can go, they took a little bit of all of that from what 1970s, 1980s wrestling was, territory wrestling. Um, big stars like Hogan added it with Vince and, and, and got lucky and got two of the biggest stars of all time, or I don't even know if we're having this conversation if, if they don't get Austin The Rock. <laughs> and uh, he, they reign with it. I mean, each of these guys in their own rights have done great, great things in the wrestling business. Uh, with with Eric specifically, I think he is there to make the show look and feel different. Uh, and, and I think that's a big thing. And, and with Paul, I think Paul is there because he's the guy that you can rely on to book your A show, Monday Night Raw, which I still believe is going to be their A show, especially because it's on Mondays and not on Fridays. But Paul in a sense, I think we'll have more of a booking role because he's already doing it. Like if you even, you know, like with Brock and Goldberg, for instance, all signs pointed to, to that sucking, right? They had the one match. He just has Goldberg beat Brock. And then they have the second follow-up match. They have a great seven-minute match at WrestleMania <laughs> in, a, in a huge ordeal. And that, a lot of that is Paul Heyman and how he would book things. So I'm, it's, I think it's going to be very different. Paul, uh, not, Paul Heyman more obviously does like the booking aspects of it. Uh, Eric, 
Eric could give a shit less about booking the product outside of like his vision for what the NWO should be and trying to make the product different. And all of that stuff was what Eric was great at, but he was never a great booker by any means. And uh, the fact that he fluctuated with like Kevin Nash being a booker and uh, Sullivan being a booker and, and all, all of the ups and downs with, you know, Dusty booking and, and at some point Flair was on the committee. You get a lot of weird shit that you're not going to get in WWE that you got in WCW. And uh, if he is just the creative director, he's going to point the ship, try to make it look different, and you're still going to have, you know, some decent booking behind it, hopefully, under his creative direction. I think it could be very successful. the, The part you know, that worries me is is the thing that Eric always wants to do, which is let's bring back the old guys. And uh, WWR has enough of that. So uh, Eric Bischoff, one thing that he was good at, similar to Gato, is having these factions. And right now there's this little faction on NXT, maybe some of you guys have heard about, (laughs) called the Undisputed Air. Instead of doing you know, a retread of NWO or the heel GM of Eric Bischoff, uh, which he is promoted, by the way, Dane. I don't know if you saw that news for SmackDown next week. So he is going to be a supposedly making an on-air appearance. Like that went out with an email blast from WWE. Really? So he's going to have some kind of feel there. The weird part there, as far as booking goes, is Shane McMahon is technically the general manager. So I, on SmackDown, I'm not saying this 100% for sure, but I wouldn't be surprised if you see Vince on Raw and Vince on SmackDown and Shane kind of getting demoted and then building that into a storyline, all that speculation. But as far as we know from uh, – I think Alvarez reported it yesterday from the email blast, and Wrestling Observer also reported it um, separately off the uh, – not Observer Live, but the actual site itself, that Bischoff is uh, – is supposedly planned to be at this damn event. <laughs> and then by mid-July, they're taking these things over. So this isn't going to be like two months from now we're going to see if there's a difference. I think, you know, almost like a presidency, it's going to take some time to get out of these storylines and start doing things really different. But as of next week, we're going to see at least something, you know. Um, it's weird, man. It's, it's so I feel like that we're – like 97 98 again just because of all the names involved but at the same time it's i i'm interested and i want i want to see what it does and i'm not here i'm not going to condemn it right off the bat like that's that's my big thing is is, until i watch the product and it's shittier than it what it currently is there's no need for me to condemn it currently you know what i mean absolutely and i think that okay i think that that, that that people have to realize, and I could be naive about this, is that I, I believe the two the, the biggest fault of of both gentlemen, I don't think that's gonna be a problem within you know their ranks of what they're doing in this company. Cause I think that Paul's biggest problem has been money issues, uh finances. Uh we you know there's been lots of stories. I, I laugh and I shouldn't, but there's been a major one that came out recently that kind of involves uh, situations with this. Um, lots of wrestlers help pay for ECW and never get compensated for it. Well, with WWE, obviously they don't have unlimited funds, but he's not going to have anything to do with that. So that kind of, to me, if you look at, like we both said, SmackDown, 
during the 2000s of when he was there and head of creative. Wrestling was great. The storylines were great. He had money at his disposal, per se. He wasn't taking advantage of it, uh, kind of like how Eric was with uh, Ted's money. Not really advantage of it, but he was utilizing it uh, and not having to be the one in charge of it. Eric, it's the too many cooks in the kitchen concepts. He was allowing people not to bully him or anything like that, but he was like, you want to go run that thing? Fine, go for it. Kevin, you do Ke- – just, just, just get out of my way. Let's be a force going forward. And that would inevitably kind of screw him over because there were so many people conflicting that he would actually create these storylines that were good, that were very interesting week to week, but there was no ending. And that was because everyone was fighting over who was going to be the winner and what was going to happen and micromanaging right at the last second. So I actually think if Vince, which his biggest problem right now is his creative process and how his shows don't differ, they're not really up to date. He's not utilizing talents. You know, wins and losses don't really matter. These guys come in to get ahead of the television writers, both the wrestling names. I don't think their biggest fault they're going to have a problem with, you know, with them leading both shows. I think that the company itself is too big and they won't be able to work. That that won't be able to happen to them. Would you agree to that? Yeah. And and I I agree with that in a lot of different ways. Um, I, I think Bischoff, you know, he did get access to Ted's money, and he did spend a ridiculous amount of money. But at, at the time, WCW, and I think in general, uh, during I, if I'm not mistaken, '96 to '97 was making more money than any wrestling company ever. So he, you know, when he started that company, he moved everything to we're going to tape, we're going to do this all in Orlando, Florida. We're always going to get hard tickets, to can't sell them out. It's he did. It's it's almost like Bischoff had a 360. Um, he went from like, hey, we're gonna make this wrestling, we're gonna we're gonna record it in the studio when he first took on the job from Bill Watts. He's like, We're gonna take this, we're just gonna record it in one place, we're not gonna travel, we're gonna do this. And then once he got WCW into the black and WCW actually started making money on their product again, then Ted was like, Here's some money, let's fight Vince. Because Ted Turner loves wrestling. Uh <laughs> He always has. It's always been a, like a staple on Turner Broadcasting, he, I, especially if you grew up here in Georgia as a kid. There was always some form of wrestling, even with some of it being WWF in the 80s. So, um, you know, Bischoff, his, his main flaws, I think, are the ones that you pointed out. Uh, he's – a lot of times it, it's not the vision of what he's trying to do. It's some of the people that he's involved in the past uh, and, and his reliance on bringing some – Reliance on nostalgia and and some old names. The the thing that killed Bischoff and WCW more than anything is the product was so hot, like hot at the time. They wanted to do two live shows, five hours a week, different locations. You're booking. It's kind of similar to what WWE is running into now, where you're doing two live shows back to back for five hours plus your pay per views, and. Th- this is why I think it is kind of important to have someone like Paul Heyman and Eric Bischoff split aside and then having, you know, McMahon rein them in when needed. Cause I, McMahon's going to have the end all be all say all. I don't think anyone's questioning that. And he's going to have the general direction where he wants to go with mania. And maybe Paul and, and Eric can change his mind on that. But when you really look at it, it's, it's, you know, I think that he knows what their strengths and weaknesses are. Like Vince beat them. 
He beat both of them. Paul's worked for him before. Eric's worked for him before. He knows what Eric Bischoff is. He knows what WCW is, um, or was, I should say. And I, like you said, I don't think that their weaknesses are necessarily going to be a problem. The stuff that scares me about Eric is, is his his obsession with nostalgia and talking about you know the 83 weeks and what he was able to accomplish. That is the scary part with Bischoff. With Paul Heyman, I'm abs- I'm like not worried at all. Because Paul Heyman is going to give you a very watchable show with wrestling on it. And and I like you said, I'm kind of surprised that they went Heyman on Raw, Bischoff on SmackDown <laughs> more than anything else. Because Fox wants a more sports-driven product. It's going to happen each week after AEW's, which is also going to be super about wins and losses, as cons have said. And they kind of went the opposite of where I would have went, because I think, you know, to me, Bischoff is more of the entertainment guy, and I, I think for everything brilliant he's done, the part that he always lacked on was the wrestling part, where Paul Heyman kind of proved in 2001-2002 that wrestling is actually the thing that wrestling fans want to see to the point where SmackDown was beating Raw in the ratings. So it, it's just weird that they kind of switched it. Um, and, and like you said, Heyman's faults were always – he didn't have a TV deal. WWE and WCW or WWF at the time were taking all of his top talent because he just couldn't afford to pay them what they were paying. That was Paul's biggest problem. The only other problem he's had, even when working at WWF, is that he butts head with Vince. Whatever he's putting out, he wants to be better than what everyone else is putting out to the point like where he you know, got fired for listening in on a Raw conference call because he wanted to know what Raw was doing so he could do something better on SmackDown. That's just who Paul Heyman is. It's it's fucking nuts. It's crazy. This whole scenario is crazy, fucking dang. It's crazy. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's it's nuts. Um, so I, I I listed out some some positives, and there's obviously, like we said, there's more negatives, but I think those are the main negatives. I think we've kind of talked about it. Maybe we'll pick up more. The positive things that Paul and Eric are kind of known for, Paul. Uh, he likes good wrestling, you know, even the ECW product stuff that Sabu was doing was, was revolutionary. He knows the future. I believe that's, that's something he's always, he's understood where wrestling was going. Uh, and I do think the wrestling will get better. And I think he'll cater to some of the younger wrestlers, Tell, compelling characters. Paul has always been able to make really great characters like Raven, um, you know, his interactions with Sandman and bringing such, such real, you know, feel to the storyline. Uh, he did the same thing on SmackDown with people like Eddie Guerrero, producing people individually. He's already doing that, and he knows how to really help a wrestler out and get in their heads because he's such a – if Paul – honestly, if Paul was a different size, he would have been one of the great – like, if he was, a, you know, naturally a big dude – um, instead of the walrus, if you will, um, he would have been a great heel wrestler. He, he's one of the greatest heels of all time, and he's a manager, um, and that says something. I think Paul, wins and losses matter. I think that, that he's always been around for that concept. I also think that both men actually care about promos, something that Bruce Pritchard cares about too, organic promos, vignettes, and the possibility – of some elements of hardcore wrestling, maybe with a 24-7 title, maybe some little bit of weaponry, not really that much. Maybe it can uh, manifest itself, something, you know, more violent. Uh, I don't know. It would have to be in the third hour 
Um, but maybe Paul can bring something from ECW into that product. Then again, we might just get a watered-down ECW, so who knows if that's a thing. Eric, as you said, Eric's really good with factions. He's got multiple factions. New Japan does that too. Obviously, he kind of uh, you know, borrowed that from New Japan, uh, but he likes having factions. The idea of AJ Styles and the club together, you know, um, and we'll get, you know, there's obviously the issue of where wrestlers are going to go on shows with the shakeup and all that. But I'm, but I'm just saying, having AJ and the club together as one unit, having the Undisputed Era, let that be his, his uh, fantastic, or not fantastic four, wow, his four horsemen, if you will. Um, the fact that certain wrestlers, I think Eric will want to uh, help out. He, I think, I know Eric's an EC3 fan. I know Eric is a Bobby Roode fan. There's certain wrestlers that I think that creatively he's worked with in the past, that he's already made comments that he doesn't like the direction of where they are in the company, you know, currently, uh, you know, finding out about it. Uh, The whole concept of having a good guy against a group of heels is always a compelling story. We just saw that with Johnny Gargano against the Undisputed Era. Eric kind of, you know, did that with Sting and NWO before Vince did it with Stone Cold and the and the Authority and The Rock later on against DX uh, and the, the McMahon-Helmsley era. Um, also, cruiserweights. I don't know if Eric's going to want to maybe try to, you know, show off a couple cruiserweight matches at the beginning like he used to, really high-impact wrestling, and help out 205 Live. He's already utilized that concept on a two-hour format, and it could be something that he realizes, hmm, I have the same concept that I can kind of bang out two awesome matches at the beginning, really get these guys, show them off in the ring, maybe get Rey Mysterio to do a match against Drew Gulak just for whatever, and then go from there. And obviously his business concept. The only reason, and because me and you are kind of confused, he's going to be able to talk to Fox like he used to talk to Turner. Obviously the difference was Time Warner merging together and them not being interested in wrestling. When it was just him and Turner Broadcasting that wanted a wrestling product like Fox does, he was able to really help out with that. And some of the more older wrestlers might want to work with Eric because obviously he likes having them around. So maybe he can cater towards that the same way that Paul is going to probably try to cater towards some of the younger talent. Um, Do you think that's a pretty good list? Do you have anything else to add to that? What do you think about that? With Paul the amount of wrestlers that he has worked with in WWE and some of the storylines he's been able to book and some of the people that he has convinced uh, Vince to push are some of the biggest names, you know, the, the guys like Eddie Guerrero, like you mentioned earlier, but you know, even to more of an extent, his involvement with CM Punk, the fact that he was a CM Punk guy that he pushed CM Punk besides Paul Heyman and Shawn Michaels, no one thought CM Punk was ever going to be a top star in WWE. So Paul Heyman has a knack for looking at, Someone who another company might look at and go, well, whatever, like Mike Awesome, for instance, in ECW, or Shane Douglas, or Raven. Like, think about where they were in ECW and how Paul was able to create those characters and book them and how those storylines made such sense. And he gave them reins to do unique things. That's the exciting part about Paul. And like you said, with with Bischoff, the exciting part is – for me, is I by no means do I think he's going to be a head booker. I think he'll have a creative vision. He's really good with factions, like you said. Um, and, and probably one of the best storylines of all time, as ridiculous as it was, was Sting not aligning with WCW, not aligning with NWO, 
And they built that thing for a year and a half. And every time Sting showed up, the crowd lost their shit. So, there, you know, if, like I said, there's tons of negative stuff you can point out about Eric Bischoff. I think the idea of more is like the creative direction. And, and when you say creative direction, the, the product that we're watching now, as far as how it's filmed, how it's produced, some of that is Vince with the camera and, 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 and more of the how it's shot. But the idea and concept of what what wrestling is and how it should be done on a major level on TV live, Eric Bischoff created. So for people to look like look at Eric Bischoff and just kind of like shrug it off and be like he can't be a creative force, that's a bit ridiculous to me. I like I said, the negatives are more him getting himself way too involved with the product. Um, but the list and the the list of pros and, and cons, I think you laid out perfectly. I think that's exactly what it is, and um, I just have faith in it in like some of the guys that are there, hopefully staying and feeling refreshed by this. Like someone like a Samoa Joe or a Brock Lesnar, if if put under like Paul Heyman's wing. There's, there's no way he's not going to turn those guys into fucking stars. Uh, in Bischoff, I see him more taking the bigger guys like EC3 and, and some of these guys that have kind of been like passed over in a lot of ways and making them into stars because his Bobby idea of what wrestling is, is is more in line with what Bergogne's was. You should look like a superhero. You need shitbag heels, but you also need people that look like superheroes. Um, so it's going to be really weird. The product's going to be very different. If if Vince lets them actually take the reins and go with it, which is kind of a big if, we'll see. But I, I think that you're going to see more of kind of what you saw in ECW with Paul Heyman, where he's like, I like people like – well, not even ECW. I like people that are, that are just good wrestlers and have something about them that clicks. Like if you think – you know, Eric Bischoff fired Stone Cold Steve Austin. Paul Heyman took him into ECW while he was injured kind of helped create the Stone Cold character. I mean, a lot of that is just that's who Austin is, but he let Austin be Austin, and then when Austin got to WWE, he became the biggest wrestler of all time. So you're going to get weird stuff like that, but at the same time, you know, Eric Bischoff was kicking everyone's ass with these big superhero-looking guys like Kevin Nash and and the Giants and uh, Hollywood Hulk Hogan, uh, Sting, these are all like those kind of guys. So I, I think that he's going to work better with that kind of stuff where Paul is going to give you more something in line with what I think current wrestling fans want, uh, which is, you know, AEW right now, <laughs> I guess, or New Japan, more of an indie type flow of match. So it's it's going to be interesting to see in general. But But as far as the pros and cons you laid out, I mean, not to – I don't think we have to continuously hammer this nail into the ground because everyone knows who Paul Heyman and Eric Bischoff is at this point. You know what I mean? Like there's not a whole lot more I think that, that we can say about you know, their, their pros and cons at least. It's more just speculation and what the future is and what the hell it means for Triple H, really. Well, we're, we're about to get into that. Um I still had a follow-up that kind of, uh, you know, what exactly is going to lead up to this. Also, you got to realize that there's two things that these guys, I think, have in common um, that's going to be different than the product is currently. They both like the sense of realism. They bo- both like more of less, less soap opera antics sometimes. And when they were, you know, at the heights of whatever organization they were a part of, 
they like a, a, a type of realism within their product so that everyone could watch it and not roll their eyes at some of the I, I really think that Vince especially this happened mainly in like the early the early part of this decade, but the whole variety show, you know, fucking far right SNL almost with wrestling involved in it that they kind of had with their segments that have been cringeworthy and, and stuff like that, that I just think won't be there with these guys uh, doing their thing. And the reason why is, is the second reason. Uh, I think both of them will, will stick up to Vince. I think that they will give them their opinion. We know that fucking that Paul will. Um, and I think that they will explain their case if it's a good one and be able to work with him because that's the crazy concept is that we have this. And to go into what you were saying, what, where is Triple H in all this? Now, we've known before in the past, Triple H has been – he's had a talent relations. Uh, obviously, that's his main thing, NXT, uh, make, getting, cropping the new talent to get ready for the, the bigger uh, wrestling itself. Um, and also, his wife, obviously, Stephanie McMahon, she is the, uh, the chief branding officer. They're the ones that are going to take over. I, I would assume Stephanie more business and Triple H more where Vince is with booking uh, once Vince decides to step down. And, and he's always been his number two. Triple H has a lot he's doing. His, his, globaliza- uh, his global localization concept, uh, NXT specifically, uh, he's been, you know, in the past now kind of helping run uh, SmackDown at the same time. So he's doing, and, and also taking over 205 Live. So he's doing a lot for the company. Um, how does he feel about this? Do they go over Triple H and go straight to Vince? Can Triple H be someone that's in the middle? Is this because possibly, like I've said, like the rumors have been out there, that Fox is looking at putting NXT to a live show on FS1 that's going to be a two-hour show, and Vince wants him to be that person for that. Of course he's going to take over. And if you look at the timeline, like I said, these contracts, four to five years, I'm assuming, I don't know why they would, would hang on to less or Vince would want to go less. Maybe three years. Either, either way, Vince is going to be a hell of a lot older. He's going to be dealing with the XFL if it even lasts that long. So a lot of stuff happening. I'm just saying it might actually be the time period where Vince finally inevitably is getting close to 80 and saying, I've got to hand this over to you. So maybe Triple H is ahead of them. You know, He was very diplomatic in a post that I believe he posted yesterday, uh, I'm sure in response to a billion people uh, wondering uh, how he felt about it, if I can find the stupid screen grab of it. He said, two people who push our industry and WWE toward, uh, forward over the last uh, 25 years. Great to have Paul Heyman and Eric Bischoff working for Raw and SmackDown. Welcome back to the team. Um, and that was you know, his statement towards it. Now, obviously, it's diplomatic. Uh, but what does he think? What does Stephanie think about this? What does the talent think? You know, some of them, like I said, like a Bobby Roode's probably excited about Eric Bischoff, you know, being involved in this. There's certain people probably that are not so much that are part of the, uh, you know, the roster. Maybe the same thing goes for Paul of being scared of how much, you know, involvement that he'll have and, and how much control. Because we know that Paul can obviously be controlling. Obviously, Eric can too. So I'm just curious of what you think. What do you think Paul thinks about all this? What do you think about his diplomatic um, statement? Uh, what do you think is going to happen with NXT? Do you think that that caters more towards the rumors of them getting a two-hour live show on FS1 from Fox in the future? And 
do you think he still has pull over these guys, or do they go straight to Vince? What do you think the talent thinks? I know I'm throwing a lot at you, Chris, but break it down. Um, So my immediate thought is the reason Vince didn't put Triple H in the position is that you have the split shows and AEW is on the horizon. And I don't think that he wants to set his daughter and her husband up for failure. And that, that goes like, to me that it's almost like admitting that Vince has feelings, which is kind of (laughs) weird, but I mean, they are family uh, in a lot of ways. And, and the other side of me is that Vince realizes everything good that they have in the product in some shape or form, Triple H has created, um, has went out and found that talent. And, and if you think about that, that really falls in line with what JR was to Vince. So when you talk about NXT and you talk about all the great wrestling that's there and, and, and how people watch all of these takeovers, it's a lot of Triple H going around and signing these guys, getting these deals done, and, and doing stuff Vince wouldn't do, like signing an Adam Cole. Like I, Vince McMahon signing an Adam Cole and not <laughs> immediately burying him is like the cra- would be the craziest fucking thing ever, um, for instance. But that's to me that that's it's like a double sided coin. It's either Vince. Hey, we're we're in the fucking weeds. I don't want to pass this off right yet to you. Or he's like, You're more important to me as a CEO, person that's gonna lead these stock calls, talk about the product, and you're also my talent guy. You're gonna be the guy that goes out and finds the Matt Riddles of the world. Which at the end of the day, when it comes to wrestling, the people in the fucking ring matter a lot more than anything else. If you can put on a good wrestling match, fans will watch. And I think that Triple H has shown that in NXT in general. So it's weird, and I think a lot of people wanted Triple H to get the reins immediately, but it's also three hours of television a week, and I don't know that one person can do that live. I think the idea of splitting it out separately is not bad. But if you look at WWE in general and you go, what is WWE's Little League? And you go, their bookers are Triple H and Gabe Sapolsky. And they're going to have Evolve be on the WWE Network. Like, there's a lot of things that you could, like, draw conclusions to of, like, oh, this is where this might go. NXT might have its own TV product, and Triple H would be in charge of that. Now you have three different directors making very different shows, and now you have Evolve as your network show. Um, And not only that, but you get Paul Heyman and Gabe Sapolsky – to me, in, in the modern era, two of the best bookers you could get, maybe with Delirious and uh, I would throw Delirious in there from uh, ROH with, you know, with CM Punk and Tyler Black and Kevin Owens and all that shit. But there's a lot of coincidences that seem to be lining up. And, I, you know, Paul Heyman, like, it's not like Vince is like Triple H can't do the job. I think it's more I want to put him into a situation for success more than failure. And as strange as it sounds, and I, I guess it's like the um, the bleeding heart in me or the uh, romantic in me, I think that, you know, he loves his daughter and her family and, and wants them to be successful. And putting him over five hours of TV a week is probably not the best way to be successful when the ratings are already down because it's going to take a long time to turn that shit around unless you get someone like a Stone Cold Steve Austin or The Rock. I'm just wondering, Triple H is in the meetings, you know, uh, conversations of what they're going to do creatively for either show. 
they suggest something, Triple H is not a big fan of it. Is Does he have say-so, do you think? Or is this going to be, you know, the only person that's going to turn them down is Vince? I mean, I think Triple H is going to have a lot of say-so over what's happening with the people from NXT. Hopefully. Well, you know what's crazy Hopefully. about that? I know that I'm – I know that I'm um, – I, I, I kind of to be uh, – to go against what I just said, I actually think that there's a good chance that since Vince has not had his eye on the NXT product, and I think, you know, the communication has been through him and Triple H, but obviously that has caused – certain stars to be diminished when they go to Maine. I think Eric and, and Paul would actually work with, with Triple H and actually want to get that talent and turn them into something as opposed to make them a part of the giant variety show. And I agree with that. And, and you know, the other thing is, does Triple H even want Vince McMahon's gig? Or does he enjoy working with young talent and, and putting on that kind of show? And being in the leadership role he is with the stockholders, he might like that a lot more than, hey, you're the executive director of the show, and if it sucks, it's all on your shoulders. So it could be that Vince or the Triple H just like, I don't want that fucking job. I like he wouldn't ever come out and say that, but you know, I, it seems like he's really enjoying doing what he's doing in NXT and wrestling his limited schedule. Um, I, I, it's all speculation for us because Triple H is never going to tell us one way or the other. He is Vince's son-in-law, and I, I do think at the end of the day, you know, when Vince passes away, it, it, he probably is going to be the guy. But maybe he's just not. Maybe he's not rushing it <laughs> because imagine the headache of Vince when you're booking eight hours of WrestleMania and two go-home shows in one week. Oh, yeah. And you have if the XFL watch- looming on your, you know, looming on your shoulders, like, because the thing about like Triple H, in theory, if he takes over the McMahon Empire, he's not just is getting everything else, anything WWE is invested in. Um, probably XFL will fall on him as well. There's a lot of shit that I necessarily wouldn't rush into, <laughs> and uh, like I said, I think he's more of of your JR. He's your talent recruitment. He is putting out a good NXT product. He's getting super amount of viewers for NXT takeovers. I, I don't necessarily think there's a reason to move him. And uh, if you're going to do three shows that are supposed to be completely different, you should have three different directors and three different points of views of what it should be. The, the only scary part about all of this is just, you know, with NXT, Vince doesn't pay attention to because he's not getting paid for it with a cable TV deal, as opposed to like Raw and SmackDown, which is he's getting super paid for it. Like NXT is a money loss for Vince for the most part. He's he's producing all their content, he's putting on the network, he's paying all of these stars to train in the developmental center, he's opening all of these different places. Like they're not making a ton of money off NXT, as opposed to like Raw and SmackDown. Um, but it is where their next stars are going to come come from. So it's – I don't know. It, the whole dynamic is a little weird in general. Like, I don't know your thoughts on it, but it, it's definitely weird to me as, as far as what Triple H is and, and where he's at. But to me, it doesn't seem like he's pissed about this, and I don't think he's, like, stepping down as CEO or anything. So, you know, he's still – He's the chief exec, uh, like he's the chief executive in that company, and he does all of their stock calls. So, you know, if there's something he doesn't like, I'm sure that he's going to have the ability to tell Paul Heyman or Eric Bischoff to fuck off. 
Yeah, and Vince will back him up. I, I do agree with you. And if you guys want to check out a documentary, uh, he he had a uh, he had one of those twenty fours right before WrestleMania, and you got to see what Paul, how much media he had to do right before a pay per view, how he had to take care of uh, uh, Takeover, how he had to go make sure stuff for WrestleMania was ready, how then he had to go and check and and work on his match with Batista, and they only got to work on it for like a short amount of time because then he was off to being in charge of one of the guys in charge of hall of fame and then, you know, takeover. And then the actual, like, there's so much stuff Paul Levesque is doing. I can completely see what you're saying. And I do think I really have this, this feeling um, that NXT is going to get its own show. And it, that's going to be like, when it comes to the diehard wrestlers, AEW and NXT will be the two shows they go back to unless Ron Smackdown are able to get to a level where, you know, it caters more towards them, and that's a very good possibility. But the one thing that with NXT that, you know, if anyone's like, well, ECW did this, and look what happened to that, you know, when they had three brands, NXT has been built by itself and wasn't more built off of nostalgia and a name and trying to see if you could do it without having the same freedoms like they did previously. NXT is its own brand and has worked itself. On a network like FS1, you get out of Wednesday, let AEW have that, you move to Tuesday or Thursday. If you have it on Tuesday, that was the day that SmackDown was on, so people are, were already used to watching wrestling on that day. You go to FS1, that's their own programming. You know, the ratings are still a matter towards it, but it's a lesser, you know, broadcasting. It's not Fox, it's not USA even. So you let Paul make a different product like he has been, and then you have the two other, Eric with his show, you know, and, and Paul Heyman with his show, it's a very interesting concept. Like, I was uh, talking to Chris about this. If, if you know, maybe they call it NXT Evolve. If, if Evolve becomes more so driven, and not maybe still with NXT to an extent with the Performance Center, but maybe Evolve kind of takes over the placement of, this was, this was uh, Chris's idea, uh, of the developmental type of brand. And then our schedule as wrestling fans, what we get to look forward to is Monday, Monday Night Raw with Paul Heyman being the creative person in charge of that, uh, either Tuesday or Thursday with NXT, two-hour live product that we've been begging for on FS1, Wednesday, AEW, or AEW, AEW uh, Wednesday Night Dynamite, which looks like it's going to be the place. You know, Thursday maybe that's where you put uh, NXT UK and your new Evolve uh, you know, show on the networks. Uh, and then Friday is SmackDown from Eric Bischoff. And then obviously the weekends, that's when MLW, uh, I believe, Impact and um, <clears throat> Ring of Honor all have their shows. And then during the daytimes, New Japan has their product out. Then you have pay-per-views on Sunday nights and, and for this. There's so much wrestling that can be – and good wrestling that can be in the future. I would rather be a positive person and think like this than think it's all going to fucking suck and that AEW is going to be the supreme leader over everything. Um, I have a question about the draft that could be happening if they do have a draft and, and them as on-screen stars between Eric and Paul. But before I get there, what do you think about all that, Chris? I, I think I agree with you 100%. And the thing that stands out to me the most is Vince McMahon, the man who single-handedly killed off the territories, is, is quoted as killing off the territories – has indirectly created <laughs> almost as many territories as we had before. <laughs> like, think about it. Like, what has came out 
of this rebuild and this refreshment of talent and, and the wrestling world and, and the way the internet works now and, and how much we have access to, it's, it's absolutely insane even just to think about the fact that this man who single-handedly ended every territory with the exception of WCW is now on his own network creating territories <laughs> to go against – uh, as Jim Cornette would say, outlaw. I was an outlaw mud shows, I guess. <laughs> but uh, it's Don't it's on insane. Mud show. <laughs> it's fucking insane. It's nuts. I uh, I I I lean to I look. They're gonna do something with Evolve, and maybe it's that they're gonna do tier pricing for the WWE Network, and you also get Evolve shows. But they're not. It's not. None of this is coincidental. And like I said, if, if you're going to have a minor league and you're two minor league guys for recruiting talent and booking matches as Triple H and Gabe Sapolsky, you could do a whole lot worse. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, no shit. Like, that's fucking Did all you, good shit. Since, since you were there, uh, you know, you were watching it live. Do you agree with me about, like, you know, a lot of people are like, three brands won't work because look at ECW throughout uh, the 2000s. But I think that WWE tried to bring back a nostalgic concept because of the name value, and they you weren't able to do the hardcore stuff or the crazy shit that ECW was known for. With NXT, it's different. It was a developmental. If they put it as a main brand, it's already built itself as a name, as a wrestling uh, entity with its own flavor. Well, with yeah, exactly. With ECW, people wanted – the fans of ECW wanted ECW, and it wasn't that. It was just – a WWE product and everything Paul Heyman wanted to do with ECW, he got shut down at every stop, which is why he quit six months into the relaunch of ECW, which was, was after his SmackDown run. So Paul, Paul Heyman's been fired and hired more times by Vince than like he could probably count <laughs> in all honesty, but like having three separate products that are wrestling products that are completely different is a lot different than having Raw, SmackDown, ECW with separate rosters, ECW having, I would say, all of the young guys and, and maybe, I mean, if you really think about ECW, like, you know, they, they were the ones that had, like, the John Morrisons of the world before John Morrison was John Morrison. Like, he was Johnny Nitro, you know, and they did get people like Chris Jericho, but it was always people that Vince was rotating off his main roster, and also the shows were almost exactly the same. Like ECW almost came like Sunday Night Heat in a way, or main event, because it was the one that was not sought after. And like I said, a lot of things that Paul wanted to do were kiboshed because they just saw this as like, hey, this is just additional revenue for us, as opposed to like, hey, we're relaunching ECW for real. Um, with NXT, they already have a built-in fan base. If you're not changing who's taking the thing over – and you're going to do a different show, and, and Eric's going to do his thing, which I think will be, you know, entertainment-driven and reality-based storylines. You're going to have Paul, who's going to book longer wrestling matches, more than likely, and, and long-running storylines. Um, as long as the products are different, I don't think people will get pissed off. The, the majority of people that are pissed off about Monday Night Raw and SmackDown are people that hate shit like the wild card rule. Why am I seeing five hours of Shane McMahon every week? You know what I mean? If they're on the other fucking brand, be on the other fucking brand and give me something that I want to watch. Like instead of doing two 20-minute Shane McMahon promos, give me a fucking Chad Gable match or anything. 
Where's Oscar? Damn it, Dane, where's Oscar? Well, um, I think she had a match in Japan. I don't know what happened to that. I don't think they won the titles, though, uh, unless I just don't keep up. God, I have no clue where Oscar is. No, they did, did win, did. but like their entire thing was like they won, but it's to set up a match on a pay per view from a fucking house show against the Iconics. <laughs> you have two of the best female superstars in the entire world. I think that Eric Bischoff and Paul Heyman can definitely do a better job booking those fucking girls than they've been booked in the past four months. Let's just go with that. Joel, you you brought up something that I'm really curious about, and it's kind of a two-parter. But let's start off with this. I think what they need to do, if they're going to introduce Eric and Paul, obviously the the creative will start, but it will kind of evolve as itself within the next couple weeks. Bring them out. You know, you have Paul who's already an on-screen personality. Eric knows how to do that, too. If you play that music, he comes out, you know, kisses his hands and fucking does all that shit. Bring them out. Just say what they are. Explain it, whatever they need to, with the WWE audience. Of, of They're going to be in charge of the shows. But they're not going to be out there like commissioners. Explain that. I think they need to do a draft. I think that you've already had the, the shakeup. Uh, towards SummerSlam, there's usually another shakeup. This whole wild card completely disillusioned that concept. Have the champions stay where they are. If they want to condense tag titles or women's titles, like I've said in the past, that could be something they can explore. If not, titles stay where they are and let them realistically, let Eric and Paul talk about what talents they think that they could use and really go over that and try to get along and try to figure out the main thing and then do the draft like they did before, like in the 2000s, where the people themselves did not know they were going just to create a little bit of change. And, and, and that, that it, it would, I think maybe I'm wrong and maybe you'll disagree with me. I think that that could create the start of something completely different and really make it, you know, um, realistic um, in tone and get the stars that Paul wants to work with, whether it be a Samoa Joe or Andrade Cien Almas or some people that he sees kind of like past stars, or and let Eric get certain people and, and go from there, basically. Because I don't know who's on whose show. The shakeup fucking didn't work. The wild card thing's not working. I think a live draft where they and the creative Vince, whoever Triple H, know who's getting what, but they then premiere that to the superstars themselves. It might be a little bit annoying for the superstars, but I think creatively, if any of them are having problems, it's going to tr- uh, start a brand new thing for them. So maybe they would be okay with it. What do you think about doing a draft right off the bat saying, fuck whatever the hell happened in the past. Let's restart things. Let's get our own superstars for the people that are running it and go from there. I love the idea. And I've said for a long time, if you're going to do a draft, make it as big as the NFL draft or the NHL draft or the NBA draft. Actually have a draft. Have traits. Have Paul Heyman be like, I'm going to give you this guy if you give me your next pick because there's someone still available that I really want that I just thought about. Um, don't pull up NXT people from the draft. I, I hate that shit. It, I, like, I, I don't think that's necessary. I think that you could even do almost a wrestling free agency where you're like, we can sign people from NXT because they're basically free agents to the main brand. Treat it if you're going to treat if Fox wants to treat it as a sport, this is the way you do that. And you could even go as far as like both of your champions, your universal champion and your WWE champion, 
are almost like team captains where they have say in the draft. So now you, you're building in turmoil. Like, does Seth draft his best friend Roman while having the title because Roman could beat him for the title? Or does Kofi take Big E first off because they're best friends, or does he choose someone like Brock Lesnar? I think there's a lot of really cool shit you could do around that, and, and that's a storyline that I've booked forever on this fucking show of, of how you should actually do a draft and make it meaningful. Um, but yes, I agree. They system sh- too. Yes. If you're going to treat it like a sport, treat it like a fucking sport. Do a draft, have a free agency, um, have rankings. I, in, in, in fact, like if you're really going to do it, strip all of the titles. Make these fuckers work for the titles. Don't do 50-50 booking. I mean, this is all shit WWE is not going to do, yeah. <laughs> but it's how I would do it. If, yep. if you put me in charge, this is what I would do because I think it would be way different than anything else that's out there. If you're going to treat it as a sport, treat it as an actual sport. Give people meaningful wins. Um, don't have a bunch of three-way six-man matches. Have singles matches for shit that's important. Get rid of the women's tag team titles. Uh, get you know, build your tag team division up. If you're going to have separate brands, have separate brands. If not, uh, well, you have to at this point because you have two different directors. So you're going to have to have separate brands. But the women tag team titles, they need to go. Um, build up your mid card and uh, like the 24/7 title. While it's great and hilarious, make that a YouTube thing. Don't put that on your your primary show. As great as it is. I don't want to see anyone jumping brand to brand in general. I just, I don't want to see it. Yeah. Like if you're going to tell me it's a brand split, split it. You can't have the 24 seven title can go everywhere. Or like wildcard rule, because what happens is if something gets over, instead of you creating something new on a separate show, you're just going to put that on both fucking shows, which is what they're currently doing, <laughs> which I don't want. <laughs> Do you so, think Eric's yeah, going to want to do anything with the the cruiserweight division? Do you think that he's like, hmm, like, all right, I did that in the past. Maybe I should have a match or two, like I said kind of at the beginning of this? I, I would say him and Paul both want to because, like, most of the WCW cruiserweight stall, stars that Eric signed was because Paul found them first. Paul, yeah, that's right. You're your your Chris Jericho's, your Lance uh, Lance Storms of the world, your Juventus Guerrero's, your Ray Mysterio's, your Ray Mysterio's. like yep. all of those fucking guys. Paul found it's not that like Eric like he booked a bunch of he booked a bunch of cruiserweight matches and he had a good relationship with AAA, but it wasn't like he found those fucking guys. Like Paul Heyman found them as far as an American audience is concerned. So. Yep. I think they could both lean on that and make the cruiserweight division great and maybe even get rid – if you're going to bring in Evolve, get rid of 205 Live. Do Evolve matches or you do something different. J- just for the love of God, try something different that's not the same product I've been watching for 15 years. And, no and I love WWE, but the reason that AEW is getting so much traction is because it is fucking different. It's something. It's the same reason, like in New Japan, has gained in popularity. They're giving you different characters. They're giving you a tournament format. They're doing shit that's different. NXT is the same thing. It's fucking different than what I've been watching on Monday Night Raw and SmackDown for the past, like I said, fifteen, twenty years or whatever. So just give it something different. I think people will be happy, whether it's good or bad. At least it'll be different and something to watch. That's not the same goddamn product three nights in a row if you have a pay per view. I completely agree. 
All right. So before we exit, I had another question. Kind of coexists with the question I just asked you with the cruiserweight division. Uh, more so probably with Eric because I feel like he would be the one to do this. If they do have a draft, if they get to pick superstars, do you think that they're going to be thinking about some of the stuff that they've done in the past kind of – or even picking from NXT more when it comes to an NXT superstar – you know, before it becomes a main show, if it, if it comes to an NXT superstar getting called up, if you will, you know, we've already talked about Eric liking fa- factions. Do you think that maybe he sees any potential in certain superstars? Like his champion right now is Kofi Kingston. I think that they're very different, but there's a lot of similarities of being the everyman, you know, that, that DDP kind of had when he was, you know, one of the top guys in WCW. Um, Someone like a Lars Sullivan or, or Bobby Lashley, maybe Eric could like see his potential in more of like a Goldberg push sense. Obviously, he's not going to book the matches per se, being overhead, but the way he visions things, the way that they position Mustafa Ali as his vigilante, try to bring a little bit of a you know crow sting in him to go against a force, maybe like the Undisputed Era as like a four horsemen entity, or I even said trying to get Finn and all of them in a cool maybe borderline babyface heel AJ and uh, the good brothers in something that's like the club, basically like the bullet club, but his own entity for that. Paul could do similar things, trying to create his next Brock Lesnar and someone. Um, do you think that they're going to try to use stuff that's worked for them in the past, or are they creatively going to go into this with complete new creative juices and try to worry about the future? Well, I, let's, I would start this off with our audience. We don't know that there's going to be a draft at all. It could just be the same rosters, right? Yeah. Like, or if they're a part so, of their roster already currently, basically. But, yeah, there, there's, no, there's no draft in play. I'm kind of just speculating and spitballing. Which is good. I just wanted to make sure that everyone knew that we're just – we don't know anything <laughs> that anyone else doesn't know already. I'm just – Well, actually, um, uh, that's not necessarily true. Uh, I've been hearing if – if it, I've been tracking Derek Bischoff for five years now about nude photos of himself at a baseball game. Never mind, I gotta go. <laughs> um, to me, the biggest thing is where the large pieces land. Where does your Roman Reigns land? Where does your if you're doing a draft, you take your top five guys, which to me is a, let's say top five male wrestlers because I think Charlotte and Becky are the obvious two female wrestlers for the top. Um, you take your five guys. And you say, let's make this interesting. Does Paul Heyman pick an AJ Styles over a Brock Lesnar? And if he picks AJ Styles, do you pick Brock Lesnar as Eric Bischoff? Now, that doesn't mean that Paul Heyman's not going to book whatever Brock Lesnar is doing. And hopefully they have that kind of good working relationship where it would make sense. But there's so many storylines you could build out of a well-done draft, and you could even pivot these two brands against each other like they're supposed to be in a realistic way where it's like, hey, you're my fucking advocate, and you didn't draft me first overall? Like there's a storyline right there, right? Um, I, I, it's just, I don't know. The concept of a draft is great except for the fact they're not going to separate pay-per-views. They've already said they're not doing that. Like that's something they took away recently. This, I don't know. Maybe you just well, merge let the me redirect. Let me redirect the questions with the current people that they have on their brands, which obviously that would mean Eric has Roman. He's got Mustafa Ali. 
He's got, uh, I believe, well, then that would mean that Paul has AJ. Paul has, with what they have, do you think that they'll apply any of past success uh, storylines or, or elements, or are they going to just take these guys and do some new things with them and, and not look at the past as an example of success? Well, they're going to have to look at, if they're not taking the titles off them, they're going to have to look at the current storylines to start out with, at least for the first month or so to the next pay-per-view. Um, Paul is Paul Heyman is going to, I don't know that Eric will as much. Eric might just start fresh and create all new storylines. Who the hell knows? But Paul Heyman is going to look at someone like, you know, a Ke- like, well, Kevin Owens is on SmackDown technically. Someone like Sami Zayn and think about the feuds that he was in in NXT. Um, I don't know that Eric Bischoff is going to do that because he's not kept up with the product. Like he's openly said, like, I tune in, I see some things. I don't watch it. Um, so I think you're going to get two different aspects of that in reality. But the, the other thing to keep in mind is, you know, Vince has what Vince is going to want to do for WrestleMania. So all they can do is try to influence that storyline and put out a good show. But yeah, like Paul, I think will be more in tune with the product. He's been there. He's been in the company. He loves wrestling. He watches it. He's to me, and more in tune with what wrestling is than Eric Bischoff is right now. So with Eric, you might get something really fresh and new and creative and all new storylines with whatever he has. With Paul, I mean, he may look at that roster and go, what did they do in NXT? Like, who did they feud with? How do I build this up? Especially when you start talking about bringing people up from NXT. Like, why the hell are we not having Samoa Joe versus Bobby Roode, for instance? Like, there, there's things that I think Paul will dial into more than Eric, and in some ways that's a good thing because I'm getting two different shows. I, I don't know if that answers your question, but I think it does. I, I think that's the the main thing is that I think that Paul Heyman has his pulse on on wrestling currently, and he might use. Certain ways he he did storylines or stuff, but I don't think that's his main focus. I think he wants to take younger guys and, and do something with them, and instead of trying to make Andrade, if he had Andrade, I don't know where the fuck he is on the goddamn thing, but not make him like build him like Eddie, uh, but maybe put elements in that, but care more about making him individual. I think Eric's going to try to make a new product, but I could see him trying to cater his his creative with Kofi, very similar as if, if he's champion to how he did with DDP, maybe Roman visually just go back to how he, you know, big booked uh, Goldberg, you know, if he has a chance on disputed era, try to have like a four horseman sprinkling. If he wants to do a club NWO sprinkling, Ali Singh, oh, okay. you know. Yeah, I get, I get what you're saying now. I thought you just meant within the current product, like what it is currently building off of those storylines, not their past storylines or their past successes. Um, yeah, for sure. But if you really think about it, wrestling in general has been recycling, just like anything has recycled every storyline you could think of. It's more about the individual person and the, and the, um, the character itself that gets shit over. But a lot of the storylines have been done to death. I mean, yep. maybe you get something unique and different, but at the same time, like there's no reason why he couldn't take Andrade Cianamos. And I'm not saying do why I cheat and still, there's no reason he can't book him like he booked Eddie Guerrero as far as how he wins yep. matches and stuff. The, the, the big difference is the individual exciting. personality. 
Yeah, like with, with Andrade, you could book him exactly like Eddie Guerrero, but instead of him cheating to win the match, you just have Selena Vega involved. Like all yep. all of that stuff will shake itself out. With 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 Eric, he's going to get criticized to death if he immediately starts a bazillion factions. Um. So I think he'll probably steer clear of that a little bit. But I, the one that I think will work for him and, and probably is the right place to go would be Undisputed Air. Uh, for Eric Bischoff, but I don't know. We'll see. You get Undisputed Era versus uh, New Day. You already have like kind of a two factions against each other. New Day is the only actual faction that's been in WWE in in years, if we're really thinking about it. And they're more like the fabulous Freebirds than an actual, you know, faction faction. Yeah, it just it's a lot of fun to speculate and uh, you know think about the future in a very positive direction. And uh, so much so for this show, we covered an hour and a half. So I think that we will need that second part, guys, to be able to go over the rest of the stuff because there was so much stuff to talk about um, in the realms of, uh, you know, this whole Paul Heyman, Eric Bischoff thing. So we'll find out information as it goes on of exactly what's going to happen between the companies. We're visually going to see that probably starting as early as this week. So I'm looking forward to seeing people. Maybe Paul showing up with Vince on Monday Night Raw and Eric showing up with him on SmackDown and then seeing the distinct difference, hopefully within a month. And if this ends up becoming, I guess, a way for Vince to to make sure neither of them creatively will go to AEW, which is a a fucking stupid rumor or, or I guess, fear or whatever the hell, um, you know, we'll find that out in a month to two months. I mean, it's not going to take much time. But either way, like I said, I want to be pessimistic. I, I don't want to be pessimistic. I want to be optimistic about this, and we'll have to wait and see. But uh, fun conversation. Like I said, almost an hour and thirty minutes. Uh, I say, Chris, do you want to go over stopping grounds and then the the uh, outcome of its uh, poor performances that we kind of like talked about a little bit, um, and then if we have enough time, maybe try to start this Seth Rollins stuff, or maybe we should start that for the next thing. We can like go over one of the small. We can go over the evolved pay per view. So yeah, that's what we'll do. We'll go over stomping grounds, talk about the amount of money it didn't make uh, at, at the arena, and then we'll go over the evolved pay per view and leave all the other non WWE things outside of Seth Rollins' uh, hissy fits on Twitter for the second half that will start at three thirty p.m. Does that sound good? Yeah, it sounds good to me, man. I'm, I'm actually excited to talk about some of this non. There, there's this little tournament coming up from this other promotion that's not in the United States called the G1. So I'm, I'm kind yeah. of excited to talk about that shit too. And there's another company that we haven't talked about, at, at least directly. It's got a live show tonight. And by the way, if you're listening to this live, go to BR Live and, and sign up. Don't wait till the last minute because those servers will crash when everyone's trying to sign up at the last minute. So, um, and, and I'm obviously talking about AEW and Fighter Fest. But yes, I am totally down. Let's talk about stomping grounds and let's talk about uh, let's talk about evolve. I love talking about evolve. We haven't done that in a while. Yeah, dude. And uh, we'll, like I said, we'll be going over Fighter Fest in the next part. Um, there was also a Ring of Honor pay per view that I I caught the part of it. I, I was watching it. I kind of passed it out, and I woke up and watched an awesome match between Kenny King and Jay Lethal. So maybe we'll cover that next next weekend or next week on Wednesday. Uh, I got to figure it out, but it was one of their big pay-per-views. Um, but I would have to go back and rewatch it. Either way, let's talk about Stomping Grounds, the pay-per-view no one wanted. 
That happened on June 23rd at the Tacoma Dome. Uh, the funny thing about this, I will say, outside of the last two matches, um, maybe the Becky Lynch-Lacey Evans match too, I thought all the wrestling on this pay-per-view was actually pretty damn well done and entertaining. And as it progressively went, I don't know if it was you, Chris, or if it was Jawan or Joel, but I was messing with one of you and going, this is actually a really fucking good pay-per-view. And then, of course, the last two things. Oh, that's what happened. Joel told me that I was telling him that, and then he tuned in and watched the cage match and the main event and was like, what the fuck is Dane talking about? Uh, but we'll get to that. I will say this first match on the pre-show, this is the thing about the Cruiserweight division, if, of, of why they could use some help from Paul Heyman and, and Eric Bischoff as exposure on their shows with their titles because you got Drew Gulak, uh, Tony Nese, who is a champion, and Akira Tozawa going on a triple threat match, which usually suck ass. And no one cared about this. People were just now getting the arena. But the crowd, I will say, for the lack of attendance, the crowd that was there at the Tacoma Dome did a really good job of making it a big show. If you wouldn't see visually the lack of people that were in there, you know, it sounded like everyone was having a good time. By the end of this match, people were getting into this match, and it was a lot of fun. They did a lot of trip, like if someone was doing something to one to the other person, the other person would interrupt it, and then it would cause a chain of hurting both people. And they did this continuously, uh, just a great, fun, uh, fast uh, three-way match. And then I think the most deserving person in the Cruiserweight division, who probably shouldn't even be there uh, because he's good at, the, good at the mic and he's awesome technical wrestler, I think a lot of people call Drew Gulak the, the, the current Dean Malenko. I've always thought that of him. Uh, and he won the championship finally. So Drew Gulak is your new cruiserweight champion. I think probably the most deserving since Buddy Murphy for getting that title. Chris, how did you like this match? It was my second figure match of the night. I thought it was really, really well done. Probably, like I said, one of the most entertaining things of the night. Obviously, the crowd's filling in during the pre-show, and, and it wasn't a large audience. And those guys worked their ass off. And by the end of it, they got the crowd behind them. A lot of great reversal spots, like you said, uh, especially in a three-way match where you don't really see that a lot. Normally what you see in a three-way WWE style is like, well, there's no rules, so it's no DQ because it's a three-way match, and like one guy is going to get fucked up, and then we're going to have two guys wrestle for a while and then come in. They went kind of the opposite route with it, which I really appreciated. I, I like this match a lot. and I, it, Out of the matches I would recommend, I would say, like, you know, the Daniel Bryan tag match, which we'll talk about later, and, and this match was probably the two to watch from Stomping Grounds, at least as, as things I would recommend. All right, so from there, let me find this real quick. All right, so our second match of the night, probably one of the weaker matches uh, with your women's championship, uh, Becky Lynch, going against uh, Lacey Evans. Um, the singles match, ladies had about 11 minutes. I will say, yes, there was some some uh, some spots that got messed up in the match, but if I'm going to give credit, it's probably Lacey Evans' um, best wrestled match. I thought her and Becky at certain points uh, did really well, and uh, Becky won uh, with the disarmer and uh yeah picked up that raw women's championship not really enthusiastic uh, enthusiastic about this match chris but it was it was it was it was what it was what'd you think i, I thought it was an okay match um obviously built into a storyline i hate later but i i like the match itself okay it was way better than the bailey 
uh, Lacey Evans match, which might be one of the worst matches I've seen in a very, very long time. Lacey Evans is getting better. I think that she could be a, a fun character. I kind of, you know, out of people to bring up from NXT, she would have been lower on my list than like a Baszler or a, a Io Shirai or Carrie Zane. Um, she just didn't have the exposure yet, but she's getting better, and I don't want to, you know, shit on her for no reason. But the the match itself was just okay. Not one that I would recommend to watch if you're just trying to watch this on the fast, so to speak. On the fast, yeah, I agree with you. Uh, then we have an awesome tag match. Uh, Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn went against the New Day, Big E and Xavier Woods. They got 11 minutes and five seconds. Badass back and forth tag match. I was happy to see actually. I know this is crazy, but I like seeing all performers get a, a, a heads up, but I was happy for Kevin Owens to get the stunner on Xavier Woods in the win. Chris, what do you think about this match? I liked Kevin Owens hitting the stunner for the win. I thought the match itself was very well worked. Um, Sami Zayn taking as many losses as he has recently is, is not great. So that built into it, but I did like that. They played it into the storyline where maybe Kevin is going to turn babyface after uh Kind of leaving Sammy there to die in the ring on SmackDown, which we're not going to get to SmackDown, but if you watch SmackDown, you'll kind of see. I think their, uh, I think their end goal is to get Kevin Owens over as a babyface. So we'll stay tuned to that one. But it was a good match overall, to say the least. And uh, like I said, not my favorite tag team match of the night because I really liked the Daniel Bryan match a lot, but it was it was pretty fucking good. Yeah, definitely a good match. Um. I think this next match is match of the night. I really enjoyed it. It just showed you how good both uh, guys are. But uh, the uh, champion, Samoa Joe, the U.S. champion, went against Ricochet in an awesome tag match. They had 12 minutes and 25 seconds. A um, lot of great spots, man. That that one where Samoa Joe went to pick up Ricochet basically and throw him back, but gave him, forced him, quote-unquote, to do two backflips in a row with the amount of uh, force just Ricochet is able to make big guys look so good, and Samoa Joe's able to make little guys look so good, too. And it just really worked out for both uh, guys. And now Samoa Joe's in the main title picture. Uh, okay, I guess they're going to just abandon all the Rey Mysterio stuff and him trying to pursue Ricochet for winning, but whatever. doesn't matter. Awesome wrestling match. Um, one of my favorite wrestling matches I've seen as of recently. Chris, what did you think about this? I thought it was a really good match. I think more of my disappointment lies in the fact that it wasn't longer. <laughs> um, it took the crowd a little bit to get behind it. But as far as the in-ring work and everything, Samojo's great. Ricochet is phenomenal. I like Ricochet picking up the title there because I feel like Samoa Joe is the top heel in WWE, whether they want him to be or not. He is the only actual heel on the entire fucking roster. So him going after a Kofi or Seth Rollins makes – way more sense than what they've been doing so far as far as like who their number one guy, as far as, you know, the bad guy goes. Um, the match was really, really good. I, I just personally, I enjoyed the tag match and the cruiserweight match more, but this is definitely one to check out. Like it, it's a good Samoa Joe match. Samoa Joe matches. I'm a little weird on because I've seen so many good Samoa Joe matches over, over the years. It, they're a little harder to judge, I guess. Oh, fair enough. Uh, for sure. I mean, I'll say also the AJ Ricochet match, short but pretty fucking awesome match as well. Uh, Ricochet's got years of potential. I think that you could say, if you ask certain people, Chris, that Ricochet is WWE's Will Ospreay. 
I just go back to when we first started this uh, podcast two years ago, and we're doing top ten. And at that time, he was Prince Puma, and I put him in my top ten wrestlers in the world. And Osprey didn't make my list then. But as of right now, Will Osprey would definitely be submitted on that fucking list. He's pretty damn incredible. I'll say that, too. All right, well, let's move on to the next match. Uh, awesome freaking tag match. Daniel Bryan and Rowan are going against Heavy Machinery. I told you after this, Chris, I didn't have a lot of – I mean, I like them. I thought they were a fun act. But I could actually watch – I think that they should have had a uh, stare down between Rowan and, and uh, Otis early in the match. That's my, like, biggest nitpick. But I love to see uh, Otis and Daniel Bryan go at it because I didn't know commentary actually doing their job. You know, Corey just said that I, I don't remember exactly what he won, but Otis is like an ex-wrestling champion in and, and college and stuff like that. Um, he's got a fuckload of personality, man, and I think Tucker is very agile for his size, and he's great. But I think Otis is going to branch off this tag team and become potentially someone pretty damn big. You know, the Chris Farley meets, uh, you know, just, just I guess, muscle-bound wrestler, even though he's uh, bigger than muscle, muscular. It just works, and I thought that him and Daniel really uh, worked well with each other. Yeah, I mean, Daniel Bryan made him look like a million bucks. And, I, you know, the thing I'll give Daniel Bryan, um, and Otis is great. Like, the, he's very charismatic, especially for someone for, like, his size in WWE. I, I like, love Otis. I think that... I don't know, push that guy to the fucking moon because I love watching him. He kind of reminds me of, like, Rikishi a little bit, but a hard, like, more of a hard a hard hitter. Um, and uh, just, you know, the way they're kind of doing the dance gimmick and stuff. But if you remember, that led to, like, a really good run as Rikishi to, you know, top, top mid-card to main event for a while. So I think they could do a lot with him. Um, I, the one, I want to give props. <laughs> I did this with the rock. I'll give props uh, real quick to Daniel Bryan because he made me want to watch this match on SmackDown on the go home show when he was on commentary, because after he made the comment about like, I don't understand, just move out of the way for the cat tiller. (laughs) So seeing them actually incorporate that move and Daniel get hit with it, it it felt like a good payoff. Um, Otis was the only person to be able to get any kind of cheer in that match besides Daniel Bryan. So that, that, Shows a lot in, in a, a very hometown crowd. Also, drive a drive a Prius and please recycle, Dane. Please recycle. Da, 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 da. Oh my God, so awesome! I love Daniel O'Brien. There was no way, and this time he didn't really reference it like you know, like he did beforehand. Like at least this is a good city, you know, where I'm from. Like he just was like, "Fuck it, I guess I have to play babyface." That's how it's gonna be. They're not gonna boo him. And I thought it was awesome. I thought it was a great match. Next one, uh, just it was fine, I guess. Ba- I don't even remember this match, Chris, to be honest with you. There's not even any highlights coming to my head. But Bailey defeated Alexa Bliss, and she retained the WWE SmackDown Women's Championship. I think Nikki somehow screwed it up. They're going for – dude, they're, they're, they're redoing the Trish Stratus and fucking uh, Mickey James thing with Alexa Bliss and Nikki. I don't think they're going to go to the level of they went – but it's obvious she's she's like the pretty girl and Nikki's like cut, you know, kind of obsessed with her and she's going to go fucking crazy. Here's the thing. You didn't need, I don't think, a platform 
to make Nikki turn into a crazy person. She was doing that fine herself, but uh, what are you going to do? I'm just glad that within all this, they didn't take the fucking belt off of Bailey and put on Alexa, which is what I thought they would do. But who knows? Maybe they're saving that for SummerSlam. I, uh, I have no idea. I love Alexa Bliss, but I'm just saying. I actually assume that they're going to keep the belt on Bailey for a while. And, you know, Nikki Cross just got a win over her. So maybe the next title match is Nikki versus Bailey. I mean, if, God damn it, I'm booking logically, so this probably won't happen. Maybe it will now that Eric's there. But the idea would be that now Nikki gets a title match and Alexa's pissed and she keeps, you know, Nikki Cross from winning. And then that sets up their feud. Uh, the entire storyline with Nikki Cross is it, I wish it was as good as the Trish Stratus, uh, <laughs> Mickey James. But it's more like it's not that Nikki's obsessed or like is in love with Alexa. Alexa has convinced her that she's her friend and Nikki Cross is just an idiot. Like that's how I read the storyline. <laughs> like Nikki Cross is apparently just an idiot. Um, and I hate idiot baby faces. So like I've hated that storyline. The match itself sucked, but Bailey and Alexa never have good matches. So I wasn't surprised. Yeah, you would think that they would stop doing that since they have never produced that great of a match with the two of them. And both ladies have worked, I, especially Bailey, very very well with other people. It just they don't clash. That that happens with wrestling, you know. Yeah, I should definitely preface that with like I'm not saying they've never had a good match in general with anyone. Just those two together, they have no chemistry, and it always sucks, in my opinion. All right, the next match I actually like this match. Uh, it was a 17 minute match. Uh, but it went around the arena, and Roman Reigns uh, defeated Drew McIntyre, which is my problem with this, with Shane McMahon involved. I thought they had a good match. It was definitely better than their Mania match. That was something they were trying to make up because Drew was sick. That was, like, one of his his things. But, I mean, Drew could have used this win, and I don't think it's going to hurt Roman. So, I, even though I like the match, I think the the choice – to have Roman lose just prolongs the storyline that I don't give a shit about. Drew gets a loss, and he continues to be a lackey to Shane McMahon, so that I do not agree with at all. Chris, what would you think? I thought it was a decent match. I agree with a lot of your sentiments, especially if you're bringing in Taker to help Roman Reigns. You should have had Roman lose here. You should have shown that Roman needs help against all of these fucking lackeys and Shane McMahon. Otherwise, you look at this match, and you're like, well, Roman's already beat Drew three times, and it's Shane McMahon. And now Roman's teammate is The Undertaker. They should bury these fuckers underneath the ring. (laughs) Like, you know what I mean? You got Roman and The Undertaker (laughs) versus Drew McIntyre, a guy that's already been beat by Roman three times at this point, and Shane McMahon. So just the booking of it was a little ridiculous in general. If you're going to screw Roman, screw him over, maybe give him a fake injury. There's way better things they could have done. But the match itself, as far as, like, in-ring quality and stuff, is fine. Um, they have cooled Roman off so hard, and I don't know if that's on purpose or if it's just just being associated with Shane has hurt him. But he's the uh, absolute opposite of how we booked him when he first came back. <laughs> Let's just say that. I think what we were talking about would have been way better for his current situation. Yeah, and actually, that's an interesting uh, little detail to go into uh, before we move on, because we're not going over on SmackDown. Raw, uh, Undertaker showed up. Um, very interesting choice. Although, like I've said, and like like we've talked about before, and 
when it comes to being the locker room leader, and I also think the respect factor with Vince as far as modern talent, Roman does have a lot of things in common with Undertaker. Uh, obviously, if this leads possibly to a Drew McIntyre-Undertaker match at SummerSlam, that could help out Drew immensely in his career. Um, he has an obvious issue with, with Roman Reigns. And then you have Shane McMahon, who's had a couple, for some reason, runs with Undertaker and also currently is up Roman's ass in a very, very negative way. Uh, what do you think about using Roman or using Undertaker to help out Roman Reigns in this feud? I think it's fine. I think it was booked poorly. Like I said, coming off that Drew McIntyre, like Drew McIntyre should have technically won at the pay-per-view if that's the route you were going to go the very next night. Um, I know that Undertaker specifically wants to work with Drew McIntyre. So if I was going to book the match myself, I would say you just have Shane get killed and lose like three, four minute match with Undertaker. And then you set up the actual match people want to see. That's not Roman versus McIntyre, but you know, McIntyre versus Undertaker because it's something fresh and new. And then you can still do Roman versus Shane with all his lackeys and he can get more lackeys, et cetera. But hopefully it's just that Shane gets absolutely killed here. He's hurt. And, um, Maybe it's the end of Shane McMahon we see for a while, especially because uh, Eric Bischoff is is showing up on SmackDown on Tuesday. So, who knows? Yep, I agree with you. Let's keep on going. Uh, So, the last two matches are the ones that really just kind of killed us for me. Uh, We had a 20-minute fucking steel cage match. And after you watch Io Shirai and Shayna Baszler battle in a badass fucking cage match that had spots that I haven't seen, you know, there was no redundancy. And then you go and have two damn good in-ring workers, especially with Kofi Kingston. The coolest thing was the ending where Kofi jumped out the ropes and got the win. It was just a very slow, methodical, boring-ass cage match where they weren't trying to beat each other up. They couldn't really use the cage for a weapon because, you know, blood and shit. And they just were trying to, like, escape it. But they didn't do any crazy giant spots that, you know, you would think they would try. What did you think about this match, Chris? So I know a lot of people really like the end spot, but I I hated it. I hated it when Aries did it in 2006, and I kind of hate it now because what it does is it kills the entire gimmick of the match Um, where you're just like, well, because what it makes you think of is like, why the fuck don't you just try to climb up the cage immediately as fast as possible and whoever wins, wins. Uh, cage matches in general, especially in WWE and the way they book them, I'm not a huge fan of. I, I thought this match was fine. It wasn't the best Kofi Ziggler match. To me, Ziggler's been phoning it in a lot and just doing like Ziggler spots. Um, and I would prefer him not to be the guy going against Kofi at all. But at the same time, I can't be mad at Kevin Owens for not wanting to go Saudi Arabia. So my entire, my entire uh, thought on this match is that it fucking sucked. I would give it a dud as far as things to watch. Like it was, except for the spot where Kofi dove out, and it makes sense with his character because he does that shit in the Royal Rumble. But like I said, it kills the gimmick of the match. Just make the matches cage match with pinfall and submission, and, and don't do the escape gimmick. It's, it's to me, it's with as athletic as these guys are, especially the two guys they have in the ring. Why would they not just both run up the cage and, and dump out? So it's more of a problem with that concept of a match in general than anything else. Yeah, it's understandable. And then our last match at 18 minutes between Seth Rollins, our 
we found out the special guest referee was Lacey Evans. This I actually don't think was a bad part in the storyline. Made a lot of sense. Didn't see it coming. You know, Seth can't do anything to her. Throughout the course of the match, she was causing him uh, to almost lose the title, including changing the the, uh, setting of the rules. And, uh, you know, there's a part where she slapped Seth twice, and then she went for a low blow. Of course, his girlfriend, Becky Lynch, comes to his rescue, beats Lacey Evans up, and I don't remember, somehow Seth won. Yada, yada, yada. Uh, then they had a really awkward time where uh, Seth and, and and I just feel bad for Seth and fucking Becky. This is a very awkward treatment of them. They don't come off like like uh, Edge and Lita. Like they're the two best in their divisions and, and they're, they're uh, confident about their on-screen romance being there. They seem kind of like this is awkward and WWE is just doing this to make it a thing so they can put it on their fucking website and Facebook and social media platforms. What do you think, Chris? I, uh, I don't know. Replace Baron Corbin with Braun Strowman. This probably makes more sense. Like do Braun Strowman and Alexa Bliss because they already had the tag team. The storyline makes more sense. I hate the booking that came out of it where both titles are on the line. So like if Becky gets pinned by Lacey Evans, both her and Seth Rollins lose titles. I fucking hate that. The match itself, the crowd wasn't behind it at all. In fact, they were burying it most of the time. You get CM Punk chance, you get AEW chance. Like it was, it was, you know, I get it. You're pushing Lacey and and Baron, but to me, like even putting Lacey Evans with Baron at this point, who definitely has go away heat, like X-Pac heat at this point in the main event, is not a good idea if you're trying to build up Lacey Evans. Like, I would keep her as far away from that fucker as possible if I want her to be one of my top stars. Um, So, in in general, I fucking hated it, and it the match itself was fine. Baron Corbin did Baron Corbin stuff. That's the best way to put it. I mean, it's not, it, we've seen this match like 10 times at this point. The special guest referee added nothing to it. I thought it was kind of fun. You know, the Hill referee shit is like, while it's comedical and, and, and funny in some sense, the idea of a heel referee in a match, it's, it almost goes back to the same thing as the cage match. So it sucks that I got both of these in a row is as soon as Baron Corbin locks on any submission or pin, that should be the end of it. Like, he should have just won the title then and there. Because if you're a heel referee and you're the referee of the match, you can say that he just won. You don't need to build it out for forever and a goddamn day. So uh, the gimmick of the match killed it. I don't like the fact they're associating Lacey with Baron Corbin. I don't like that Baron Corbin is going to be in the next fucking pay-per-view against Seth Rollins again. And uh, the only thing that saved this match at all is the crowd was really behind Becky when she finally showed up after uh, Seth got hit in the nuts, which it's really hard to feel bad for Seth getting hit in the nuts when he's literally, like, punched Brock in the dicks six times. So (laughs) that's the other thing. But it was funny how they built that up with, uh, you know, like, Seth's getting shit on the entire time by her, but as soon as he gets hit in the dick (laughs) – like Becky runs out. I don't know who I, whose idea that was, but that was actually kind of funny. Yeah, you don't touch you don't touch the the man's penis. Do you think? All right, we know that the biggest thing that's not working for Raw for their storyline, or at least what started on the superstars that are on Raw, is this Rollins and Baron Corbin thing, Lacey Evans and and Becky thing. It's just not working out. SmackDown, I would say it's Roman Reigns against Shane McMahon. 
and Drew McIntyre. Paul's probably cued into the the product because he's there for part of it. Eric, at least, I'm assuming, is being smartened up by the fact that the Shane thing's not working. Do you think that creatively both guys are going to be like, we we gotta we gotta come to a stopping point and and fucking figure out a different direction. This is this is not gonna work. I hope so. And if I'm Paul Heyman and they put me in charge this Monday, I'm having Brock win the title. Just so I don't have <laughs> to have that just so I don't have to have that tag match. Because now you can just break away from that match. Because I don't think it's gonna hurt the fans' feelings at all if you don't see Seth and Becky versus Lacey Evans and Baron Corbin in a goddamn intergender WWE tag match where the the males and females can't touch each other at all. Like those matches always suck. Like I cared less about it when John Cena. It was John Cena and Nikki versus <laughs> Miz and Maurice, who to me are way o- more over than than anyone in this fucking match. Oh so. yeah, I didn't even think about them. <laughs> I, I don't understand why I, I, I do this. Like the. It's it's terrible. So I would just have if – if I'm Paul and I walk in, they let me do whatever the hell I want, I have Brock kill him on Monday and get the title <laughs> so you don't have to do this tag well, match in your next pay-per-view. It's going to get heat on Paul from the fucking smarks, and they'll bitch about, well, this is the reason why he's in charge. Let him say that. He can get it out of the way, and then Brock can just be his champion and fuck you. You know, I mean, who gives a shit? And then Seth can chase him because that's a hell of a lot more compelling because, honestly, Seth beat him. By cheating, even though Brock attacked him beforehand, it took low blows and shit. He's never beaten. We've never seen Seth against Brock like we have Brock against Finn or Brock against AJ. We've never gotten that match. So I actually think that that would be a lot of fun instead of going through with this fucking horse shit. Let's get over it. Find better competitors. God, just let Paul talk to Sasha Banks. Bring her back. Have her attack fucking, uh, whatchamacallit, Becky, and start a feud between the two of them. It, and, and get rid of fucking Shane and, and Roman Reigns and let Roman and Drew be the actual fucking story if you want to do that. If not, find Roman a suitable person to go against and let Undertaker go against Drew McIntyre and build that up until SummerSlam. I don't know. It's just crazy, this whole concept of, uh, of, of fantasy booking. Might actually have two fantasizers in the key form, like we said, of Paul Heyman and Eric Bischoff that might actually understand – to be able to take the product to the next level instead of keeping it on the same fucking line. Uh, yeah, I mean yeah. the other if you don't want if you if you don't want Rollins to win the title you, or don't want him to lose the title, you don't necessarily have to go that route. You just have to have Brock demolish Baron to the point where he can't be in this match, and then you just set up the title match. But like, I know that people are tired of Brock, but he's the most over person in the fucking company right now. Like, to me, my, my, maybe minus Becky, but, like, he's the only one that does anything as far as ratings go. Like, it, it's him, The Undertaker, and Goldberg, and Goldberg's not coming back. Like, it would oh, make yeah. sense for Paul to book Brock to win the title and then have Seth actually beat him in a match to make you appreciate Seth more. Because Seth has never actually beat Brock Lesnar in a match. Legitimately. Nope. He's hit him in the nuts twice. And he curb stomped him after Brock Lesnar was beating the shit out of Roman Reigns. So it's the most heel booking of all time with Seth running around with his fucking chair and hitting Brock Lesnar in the nuts. And he's supposed to be your number one babyface. It's stupid. So I, I have a feeling that Paul knows it's stupid and may try to do something about it, hopefully. 
You always want your big names to be your your needle movers, but right now that's not the case. Needle movers are John Cena's, are Brock Lesnar's, are Undertaker's. Those are going to be people that are going to like get people to view because your biggest, I mean, the biggest faces in, in, in W or the biggest names I would say in WWE that still aren't to that level are Seth Rollins, Roman Reigns, AJ Styles, Becky Lynch, Charlotte, and Kofi Kingston in the New Day. I would say. And then there's another tier, and that's where you put the Miz, and and then keep on going down that scale. But no one, not even Roman, not even Seth, none of them are on the level of a Brock Lesnar, and he's at least the most relevant out of all of them. Uh, Randy Orton is not even on that level. No, and I mean, it's not because they've booked Brock so strong. It's because Brock is Brock, and Paul Heyman is a good fucking promo. You know what I mean? Like it's, and if you want to make Seth be the next guy. Then instead of giving us a bullshit match where he gets his ass beat before the bell rings and then hits Brock in the nuts, give us the Finn Balor Seth match or the Finn Balor uh, Brock match, the same the same similar match, and have yep. Brock lose or or the Brock AJ match or the Brock fucking uh, uh, who who the hell I'm trying to think of like another superstar that one it doesn't matter like I I completely completely agree with yeah, you. Bro- um, Brock Brock had a string of four really good fucking pay-per-view matches, and then they gave us a gimmick where he gets hit in the dick, and we're supposed to care if, if Seth loses his title, which to me is hard to yep. give a shit about because Seth is a heel. <laughs> like, he's a fucking complete heel. Look at how he's booked. And that, yeah. <laughs> and, and outside of that on Twitter, and that kind of leads me into our next thing. Guys, we're going to be going over more stuff in the second part. If you're listening live, we appreciate it. you got a little more time. Uh, we're going to break down for 30 minutes, start back up for uh, 3.30, and we have two hours to play with. I don't think we're going to be doing the two hours, but knowing me and Chris, we usually just talk about wrestling all day on Saturdays because both of our days off. Um, so get excited because we're going to be going over all the Seth Rollins bullshit, him and Will Ospreay going back and forth. Uh, Fighter Fest. We're going to talk about the Evolve pay per view. We got a lot in store for you. But before I, I, I uh, exit this thing, I wanted to. I don't know if you brought it up earlier, Chris, but the main thing that we're talking about with attendance, the stopping ground did not have good attendance. It only had 3,500 people at it. That's a terrible pay per view number to have as far as your arena attendance. Uh, this is probably the reason why this is shaping up like this. So, Chris, give me your words on that, and then afterwards, tell the wonderful audience to stay tuned. Um, and uh, yeah, just whatever you want to fucking say. I don't care. Just yeah. Just say something. So the attendance, the attendance number that the observer had was six thousand for Stomping Grounds, three thousand five hundred for Raw, and two thousand five hundred for SmackDown. All terrible. You get the Seth Rollins feud, which we'll talk about the next hour, so make sure you tune tune into that. And uh, I think that, like I said, it's not a coincidence at all. Uh, if you guys want to follow me on Twitter, you can hit me at Chris R. Patton and uh, Christopher Ray Patton on Facebook. You guys can find us, and uh, thanks so much for listening. And definitely tune into the next hour for sure. We got we we have AEW to talk about still. God damn it, <laughs> we have so much to talk about. Definitely check it out. We might be taking phone callers. If you're interested in that, we probably will let you know when we're going to do that in the episode. But message me or Chris on Facebook, Christopher Ray Patton, Dane like the dog, Alves, A-L-V as in Victor E-S. Message one of us. Let us know you want to call in. We'll take your question. We'll keep you on. 
uh, just don't be a dickbag. And uh, since you're messaging us, we will broadcast you on social media that you're an asshole if you do do that. So stay tuned and join us for the second hour or the second part, I should say, of Wrestling Geeks Alliance at 3.30 p.m. EST. Thank you, guys, and let the Geek Vibes be with you.